Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. What we've noticed, and Camille might have talked about this too, is that the further that women run, the closer they're getting to men's records. And you look at someone like Camille who might actually get close to Giannis's 48-hour world record. That's really exciting. And that's what really drives us for Camille to be the best there ever was. And that's that'd be kind of fun and exciting to see that, you know. So Hello and welcome to another episode of No Finish Line Podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. In this episode I'm joined by Connor Holt, and this episode is going to focus mostly on training. Connor Holt brings over 30 years of running and coaching experience and is part of the Run with Camille coaching team. Connor is a USA track and field level 3 coach and an IAAF level 5 endurance certified coach and is very fortunate to have worked with some of the best coaches in running and has learned the science and the why and how of this magic sport. Connor was born and raised in Ireland. He was a three-time Irish national champion for 3K and 5K and a member of the Irish Junior World Cross Country team. Connor earned a D1 athletic scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, where he was a six-time All-American and academic All-American, a three times in cross-country and three times in track. He finished in the top 14 in the NCAA cross-country championships three times, and he took home the Big A championships in the 10,000 metres back in 1996. He then went on to run professionally for ASICS and Powerbar, and has a personal best of 13 minutes 51 seconds for 5K and 29.02 for 10K. Connor is a two-time winner of the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon and holds the course record of 2 hours 22 minutes, set in 2004, and after becoming a US citizen in 2002, he qualified for the 2004 United States Olympic Marathon Trials, where he finished 18th in a personal best time of 2 hours 18 and 17 seconds. Connor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That seems like a lifetime away. What are all those accomplishments? That's quite a list. Uh, can you tell me what a D1 athletic scholarship is? In the collegiate system in America, you have Division One, Division Two, Division Three, NEIA, and Junior College. And typically, a lot of athletes will want to go the Division One route because it, it gives you the most competitive aspect of all the divisions. Um, and then the other thing too, obviously, is the scholarship money involved. There's a little bit more flexibility when it comes to Division One. So yeah, so being a Division One scholarship athlete, it's just an amazing opportunity given to anybody that can get that. And uh, I was fortunate enough to to get a scholarship to go to the University of Oklahoma many many moons ago. And what was your preferred distance? You know, I love cross country. Obviously, born and raised here in Ireland. You know, I was raised with the cross country background. So that I'd say the cross country was my first real aspect of what I love to do over there. And then they run 8K and 10K cross country over there. Obviously, then on the track, then I ran the longer distances on the track too. You know, so 5K, 10K, yeah. And how did you get involved with coaching? My dad was my coach growing up here in Ireland. Uh, he's a very successful juvenile coach. He just instilled a really hard work ethic that I've always had. Uh, he coaches at the Temple Oak Athletic Club locally, just down the road. 
and he also coaches at St. Pius Tent uh, School. He does some coaching there too, but uh, he's he's had a lot of success over the years. He's coached a lot of good athletes, but I was his first, <laughs> and uh, I'm the best, of course, you know, so... <laughs> Well, so, you must have been okay if he stuck with it. <laughs> I've had my moments, I could say, you know, so it was good, yeah. So how did I get into coaching? You know, um, I have a degree in music and I've always been a, kind of a teacher, I guess. And I uh, taught music for a few years over there in the schools in America. And it just kind of fell into my lap that I became a collegiate coach. I just got lucky and I got in with a very good mentor. And my first coaching gig was at Oregon State University and uh, did that for a few years and I moved on to Purdue University. I coached there for a few years and then um, my last coaching gig was at Oklahoma City University where I coached there for a few years and we won a few national titles and then obviously then uh, when Camille, uh, my wife, uh, started uh, rolling with the punches here and started kicking ass and taking taking no prisoners, um, I kind of took a step back from my collegiate uh, responsibilities and um, kind of took over helping her with her running career and uh, so yeah so a very unique position now that I, I coach a world record holder I manage a world record holder and then we also coach and manage a, a pretty successful online coaching business yeah so Do you think your time as a music teacher has helped with your skill as a coach? Yes um, you know patience you know when you're teaching piano students and you see them one week and they haven't practiced in those seven days and they come back to you and they still are playing and making the same mistakes. I think patience is a virtue and uh, I think you have to be very patient when you're a coach. I think you, uh, increments of success come in very small steps for some people and then increments of success come in very large leaps for other people. So I think it helps that as a coach that you kind of recognize that and that you're able to to nourish that and develop that, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Not everyone can coach, and the fact that you have come from a teaching background, you probably fell into the coaching role without having the intention of being a coach. It just you probably found yourself actually passing on your own knowledge, and in turn became a coach. Would that yeah, be right? you know, I think I, I I just think back of my own youth, my own juvenile success in athletics, and my dad coaching me, and I just you know, and then when I went to the states, and I had good coaches in college, and then obviously. Uh, my first real coaching mentor, Kelly Sullivan, who was at Oregon State, who was a, um, you know, he was a top USA distance coach. Um, so, so I think you know when you you recognize, you take a little bit of peace from from all these mentors and and coaches you've had in the past, and you kind of mesh them into your own kind of recipe. I think, I think that's important. You know that you it's not one one way to coach. You just kind of have to kind of look at it being. In the the ability to be able to take all these people's influences and, and kind of make, come up with your own kind of like little yeah. So you look at them all and then add your own personality. Yeah, you know, I think I think you know I've learned a lot over the years from other people, but then obviously then I'm still a student of the sport. You, I don't think you never stop learning the sport. I think no, the more you learn, the more you realize you yeah. don't know. Yeah, you know. So um, I love learning. You know, I love I love reading a book about athletics. I love reading a book about track and field and. And I think that's part of it is that, you know, you never you never stop learning, you know? So, yeah. So. And the first time we met was actually at the 24-hour World Championships back in Albi. And yeah. we were standing trackside the day before the race. Yep. And the two of us just started talking about coaching and our own thoughts and ideas. And I found it very, very interesting talking to you. And knowing what your PBs were at the shorter distances, it made me wonder how you came to apply your own thinkings to ultra distance. 
well, and they have proven very successful. Well, you know, I think having a very successful athlete helps. You know, I, you know, when you're coaching someone like Camille, it's there's a, you know, it's 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 a unique thing that having an athlete that's able to go out and crush world records and win world championships and. And sometimes a coach in that in that aspect is there just to kind of maybe hold back the reins too, you know. So so it it it, it kind of you kind of have to look at it like that, you know. You can't just look at it all like I'm, you know. You write down something on paper and you give that give it to that athlete on on that caliber, you know. Sometimes it takes a lot of you know. Hey, this is what we think we should do, or no, I don't think so. This is what we should do. No, okay, let's look at it this way, you know. So so there's a lot of give and take, you know. So. And experimentation. But yeah. another way of looking at what you've just said there is, if you were a mechanic mm-hmm. and you were working on small cars and your next door neighbour has a Porsche and there was something wrong with the Porsche and he asked you to take a look at it, <laughs> you say, okay, well, all engines are kind of the same, so yeah. maybe I can fix it. We say, yeah. but maybe you'd be better off going to a Porsche mechanic. Right. So were you thinking, ever thinking that you had an idea of what to do, but maybe somebody that had more experience in ultra running might be best passing Camille on to them. Well, you know, when, when we kind of found this, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I was the first, when, when Camille started out on this whole ultra running uh, journey, I remember back in 2015 when she ran her first ever 100k in national championships, I dropped her off at the airport and I said, do you really want to do this? You know, and I think part of it is, is that, you know, I think she trusts me. And that's and very important it for is, a coach athlete. It is yes. extremely important. But also, I think you learn as you go. And I remember when we got into this, you know, I, like I said a second ago, I'm a student of the sport. I read a lot of books about ultra running. I read a lot of books about, you know, the things that people in the past had done. I did a lot of, you know, reading on the Internet and those kind of things. But, you know, sometimes you kind of have to have a fresh take. Sometimes you have to have that canvas that's blank and you put your own, you paint your own, you know, image on there. And I think what we what we have done is we've kind of taken an approach where, you know, we're coming from that road background. We're coming from a background where traditionally you're doing those kind of workouts, those kind of intervals, those kind of those kind of things where it approaches to a certain apply to a certain distance to a certain race. But what's not to say that you take that approach and you apply it to something that's like an ultra running, you know, and we've uh, we've had a lot of success, as you know, and as everyone knows, and uh you know, but as I said, it's been an experimentation too. You know, we've we've done some things along the way that like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. You know, and but that's all part of the learning process. You never stop learning, you know. So, yeah, that's what has me curious because with your background, there's no hints of ultra running, mm-hmm. and even when you say reading books and looking at the internet, there's not an awful lot of information out there. And the information that is out there, there's nothing to say that it's right. Yeah. But you take it for granted that this is the way to do it. Yeah. You've almost rewritten the, the books and the training. Yeah. Yeah, our website is training uh, reinvented. And that's kind of how we approach it. You know, we, we have that fresh approach to it. And I think part of it is is that, you know, we're willing to take those risks. You know, I think to be the best in the world, to be the best there ever was... You know, you kind of have to take risks and it's the same with coaching. Sometimes you have to take a risk into doing something. And and I think, you know, over the years, you know, I think the biggest part of what helps Camille is she has 13 years of averaging over 100 miles per week for 13 years. And I think that's where it starts. It starts with a great engine. It starts with a great aerobic engine. And that's the one thing that I'd say to anybody that's starting out on this. You have to have that continuous foundation of aerobic ability. Um, and that helps. 
you know. And that helps, I suppose, with your recovery. Yeah. And also, it helps you to absorb the impact of any additional training or the stress of a race. Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about recovery, you can look at that in a lot, a lot of different ways. I think the one thing we found in our, in, in our coaching, especially with our, um, our coaching business is that a lot of people, they don't know how to recover or they take their recovery days too fast. And that's the one thing that we've kind of told a lot of people along the way is you kind of have to, you kind of have to slow things down and then just enjoy the recovery process. It's not really the recovery days that make you better. It's the workouts that make you better. You know, what's that Dina Castor, uh, Dina Castor, who's a very uh, good uh, USA runner, bronze medalist in the 2004 Olympic Marathon. What's her saying that she says? Yeah, your work is only as good as yesterday's recovery. And that's true that you can take that across the board in any sport at all, but especially in ultra running, I think. You know, you can look at it as, you know, it's the workouts that are going to make you better. It's the recovery days that are going to make you recover quicker so you can work out better. And would you say that the recovery will be determined from the actual training session well you know you have a base so kind of what we look at it is is we typically want to look at about two minutes to two and a half minutes slower than your race pace wouldn't wouldn't you agree there camille on your recovery days about two minutes to two and a half minutes slower than your race pace so let's say we take for a marathon so let's say we take a six you can average six minute mile pace uh, what would that be in K? Six minutes is three forty-five Ks. Yep. So for uh, for your race pace, so you're looking then at you know now for for that would be about five thirty, five thirty Ks, five thirty, five twenty to five forty K K pace recovery days. So that's that's your recovery. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. They kind of run in that what I call the gray zone. That's the word I've come up with. You're not getting any quicker. You're not getting any slower. It's just this gray zone where you're kind of just. You're not putting the pedal all the way to the metal, but you're getting close to it. It's like keeping the pot simmering. Exactly. If you up the temperature, whatever's in the pot is going to go. Oh, yeah. But if you, and if you lower it down, it's going to go too cold. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good way of looking at it too. Yeah. 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 So just just doing enough to keep yourself there. So recovery is very important. I think and what we do is we typically take three days between workouts, three to four days between workouts. Yeah. But what happens in between those three? Oh, yeah. So, but in those three, you know, days. three days, that's easy running. Typically, yeah. We're, when, when you kind of look at a training week, we, you know, we, if we have, typically our week runs Monday through Sunday. So, uh, your Monday would be, and typically Monday is always the most stressful day of the week. Think about it. It's your first day back to work after coming off a weekend. It's obviously, if you're, if you're coaching someone a little bit younger, they might have, you know, had a race over the weekend so, or, you know, or someone that has a family too. So typically Monday is a nice easy jog. Then Tuesday would be another easy run, but we do strides. We like to do a lot of strides twice a week. And our How strides, would you do, describe strides? So strides are typically anywhere from 80 to 100 meters in length. And they're typically run at about anywhere from 85% to 90% to 95% effort. And you always run them in the same direction. And you're really focused on your form. You're focused on a good effort over that distance, 80 to 100 meters. And they're not full out sprints. But they're a little bit less, like I said. And then you typically walk, jog back. So you're fully recovered going into each stride. And they're done always at the end of your training run. So if you do an 8-mile, 9-mile run, you'll come back after the run. And then you'll do your strides on the Tuesday. Then Wednesday is your first workout of the week. So it could be anywhere from short intervals to long intervals to minutes, some kind of fart leg. Something that's going to really test your, you know, you look at what your engine, you know, your, your aerobic engine, you have your... You have your, you know, you want to test each part of your engine that you're going to use. So, so typically that'll be a kind of a, a workout of some kind. 
And then Thursday would be a recovery from that. Then Friday would probably be another recovery day. And then Saturday would be similar if you're going to do a workout on Sunday. Saturday might be another day like Tuesday. So it'll be another day of recovery with strides at the end of it. And then Sunday would be your second workout of the week. Typically either a long run with some kind of progression in it or some kind of, you know, if you if you decide you want to do something on the Saturday, then you might do another session on the Saturday. It just depends on what you're training for and where you are. So, But typically you're going to do two types of workouts in the week and then you start the process all over again the next week. And typically, how long would one of your marathon training cycles be for one of your clients? 16 weeks. 16 weeks is typically our, our go-to. It's like our, our our go-to is about 16 weeks long. Is a, is a training plan for like a 100K or a 50-mile plan or even a marathon plan. Yeah, it's about 16 weeks. And is that 16 weeks from somebody who's already training? Um, It will all depend on, yeah. So on our website, we kind of customize it. So if someone buys what they call, we have these digital training plans. So, so if someone wants to buy a 50-mile to 100K training plan, it's typically, yeah, a lot of times there might be their first ever and uh, they might be experienced so yeah we just customize it based on their ability and their mileage and their paces so yeah it's and that they get a questionnaire when when they buy a digital training plan they they get a questionnaire sent to them and and they fill it out and based on that then yeah we get as much information on that questionnaire and then we we knock it out of the park yeah with that digital training plan so yeah they're going to talk a little bit about camille yep well you will tell you talk how to her did about you it. notice the talent that was there I think growing up, like she, she's referred to, you know, grew up in a very kind of uh, the basketball background, I think, very competitive background. But what did you actually notice when you were training or watching her train? No, well, the first time I noticed her, I was trying to hit on her, so it wasn't really anything to do with running, to be honest, you know. So. <laughs> but then something must have stood out that you said, this girl is going to be... I was drunk, I don't really remember too much about it, to be honest. She did have moxie. She asked, she called me, we we had, we had met at a jazz festival and I was pretty hammered. And the next day we promised that we're, I was going to call her the next day and I forgot to do it. And she called me. So that kind of goes to show you that, this year, like I say, she has moxie. She's got a bit of fight in her, you know, and she kind of goes after what she wants, you know. She wasn't even running when I first met her. She'd kind of given up on the sport, to be honest. She had a lot of injuries uh, coming into college. And I kind of just, when when I started, I was doing a bit of running then. And then I got serious again. And then uh, going through my U.S. citizenship, doing all that kind of stuff. And then and then I took up running full time again. I was living with our grandpa, Norman. And then she would drive down and help me on the weekends with my long run. And it wasn't really until we went up to Colorado um, that summer, 2004, that we kind of, she was just jogging for fun and she was running 70 miles a week. And that's when I noticed that, okay, maybe you do have a bit of talent here if it's nurtured the right way. Yeah. So, and yeah. Were you coaching at that time? I wasn't coaching anybody, no. I was coaching so, myself. Is that when you discovered that you had the coach's eye? You know, to be honest, you know, I had a degree in music and I kind of thought that that's what I'd be doing. And I guess, yeah, you know, I kind of like, I taught school for a few years, but that was like, that, that stuff getting up in the morning early, that's not really my cup of tea. And having to get there at eight o'clock in the morning, teach snotty those kids, that just wasn't my what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, you know. And, and then I was teaching piano lessons for a while, private, a private music studio and kind of got bored doing that but then you know and then I ran for a while full time but then I was like okay well I eventually got to figure out a place uh, something to do with my life and I guess you know I just felt you know I guess probably yeah you could say right when I met Camille and then obviously started coaching I said okay that might be good at this you know so I think probably the biggest thing that I kind of probably came to the brought to the table I think was the perspective of all the experiences I had in my life up to that point and I think that's probably helped her a lot of a lot of the time she had dealt with coaches 
in the past before I started coaching her who are kind of like, this is the way you do it or, you know, get lost kind of thing. And I think my perspective was, well, let's... The biggest problem with Camille was that she had when I first started coaching her. Well, before I coached her, was she used to run her recovery runs too fast. She was getting injured constantly, you know. And I think part of it is overtrained, overtrained and under recovering, yeah. And I think part of the problem was that, you know, she had to learn how to slow things down and appreciate the small things in life, you know, just appreciate the ability to be able to go and run every day. And we say that to all our athletes that we coach now that you just have to just relax and enjoy the process. I always say that to people is that now you're going to make big steps in your running career. You're going to make small steps, but to just enjoy the process and and believe in what you're doing, you know. So, and I think that's Camille kind of finally realized that she saw these big jumps. You know, she her, she ran a huge five kpr, she ran a huge ten kpr, she ran a huge fifteen kpr within five six months of me coaching her, and she kind of said, okay, now. But also the way her lifestyle too, she started slowing things down. She started taking a little bit more seriously in what she was doing. Her diet improved, so there was a lot of things that helped her, you know. And I think, like anything else, I think that's just part of a part of like learning how to deal with this, you know, and the maturity and all those kind of things, you know. So you did a lot of small things, but yeah, they all added up. It all added up, yeah. And what you mentioned there about Camille's previous coaches saying this is the way we do it, yeah, we do it being the team, and that can happen, yeah, when you go to clubs or schools when there's a cross country team or a track team mm-hmm. everyone trains the same yeah. because they want the same result and it's all yeah. for the team if you're not good enough you're left behind or you get injured yeah yeah. so yeah. it's it's not personalised and I suppose that's what you're now doing with your online coaching you're yeah. not just letting somebody take a plan the plan is actually tailored to them Yeah. and I suppose I could take a plan off you mm-hmm. and give it to somebody else but that person might not benefit from the plan because it's not for them. It's for me. Right. Yeah, and true. And I suppose that's what you're actually doing. And a lot of that is what I got from that conversation we had at, yeah. at, at the track. And I'm kind of wishing that I had the microphone with me back then because <laughs> it's hard to recall some of the stuff we said. And But that's basically what you were saying. You were on about how is the difference between having something that's generic. You can get a generic plan in the yeah. book or the magazine. Yeah. But it's not for you. No. You kind of have to kind of look You've at what look helps. you got to look at the athlete. Yeah. And that's where the coach's eye comes in. And if you can't see the athlete, you mentioned the questionnaire, you have to know the athlete. Or, yeah. And the athlete has to be truthful. Yeah, exactly. You know, the athlete has to decide, okay. And it's a big risk too on the athlete's side of things. Take, take someone like Alistair Higgins. When we first started coaching Alistair, his mindset was like big volume. You know, lots of volume. Because that's the way we do it. That's the way, that's the mindset. But what we did was we kind of took an approach, well, let's just slow things down and let's, you know, and a lot of people say that, oh, you're, some of your training, it's, you know, we undertrain. We don't really undertrain. We just do smart, intelligent training. There's a purpose to every workout. And obviously, you know, finishing fourth at Spartatlan, but the way he finished was really impressive. What we were most proud of was the way he ran. And even he said afterwards, too, is that he really felt really super strong. You know, and that's what you want to hear. You want to be able to feel like you could go out and accomplish something massive. And that just gives you tons of confidence, you know, to be able, okay, now what can I do? You know, so, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Alistair because he's on one of my previous Mm -hmm. podcasts. And the reason I got him was because of his fourth place finish. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that he was actually trained by you when Mm -hmm. I contacted him. But doing a little bit of research, I found that out. Yep. So it started to make make a bit of sense, all right. Yeah. Now, I was talking to an athlete there 
just last week and they were a new athlete to the club and I was asking them what their plans were for the marathon. They told me their time and I said, can you give me a recent PB? They told me their 10k PB, which was just under 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. When did you set that? Maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. That's historical. Yeah. So when somebody is answering a questionnaire, they have to be honest. They have to give you the now, not what they were, not what they think they are, what they are now, because you need a definite starting point. Well, you know, I think you you need to know, like, you know, if their PB was a few years ago, you know they've they've reached those standards. That's what they could yeah, do, yeah. they could do. So, yeah. but that's not where they might be right now. So, you know, typically what we do is when we do these questionnaires, we t- there's a lot of feedback, you know, between, okay, how do you feel like, what what are you doing right now in your training? So there's an easy transition, you know, so um, it's good. Yeah, can't complain. And have you any interest in ultra running? Yeah, uh, no. The wife here is always trying to bug me about doing some 50k here in August, but I don't know about that, but we'll see. I, I kind of um, have been fortunate, you know, Camille's sponsored by Nike, and um, I'm kind of fortunate that uh, that I test shoes. I do some shoe testing for them, so um, every few weeks I get new shoes to test. I put so much mileage on them, I have to tell them, you know, what's good about them, what's bad about them. So yeah, so that's kind of like what I do right now, and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy getting fresh shoes and just... You know, going out and running like 50, 40, 50 miles a week on them and just kind of telling them what, what, what's good about them, what's not good. And then you give them back and then they yeah. test them. To yeah, see well, they just they, it's more just feedback, you know. Like they, they, I've done a, te- a lot of testing in trail shoes lately. And uh, some, like the ones I'm wearing right now, I tested these um, about a year and a half ago. And What size are they? There's a size, uh, they're a size 10, yeah, I think, yeah. So, um so anyway, so why do you need a pair of shoes? Is that what you said? I'm only joking. <laughs> so anyway, so a lot of the things I said about that shoe, they kind of that was what they kind of went with. So that was kind of cool to be able to see a finished product. You know, well, it so. is cool, and it's good to know that a company like that is actually using athletes to yeah. give, them, give them feedback. Yeah, yeah. So we were out there in um, in November for a visit in the Nike campus and got to got to meet the got to meet some of the the people that we kind of like yeah you get to know them and they're wonderful people yeah what do you think the qualities of a good coach are um i think you know um good looking is important <laughs> being a big, yeah true that's, that's uh patience i think is a huge virtue the ability to be able to not 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 so much foresee into the future but you kind of have to be able to kind of map out a direction for your athlete because sometimes a lot of athletes have short sightness make a prediction yeah make a prediction for uh for yeah so things like that you know that you're able to you also have to be a good pretty good bullshitter too i think you know you're gonna be able to kind of like that's the bit we keep spin a yarn to them that they kind of and sometimes you kind of have to like tell them you know sometimes you kind of have to make them make them feel better about themselves so the psychological part of it kind of comes into it too that you're able to kind of Bring them up when they're down, um, and a good listener too. I think, yeah. So, there, there, there are some strong virtues I think that I've kind of learned along the way. Anyway, yeah. So, and how long have you been coaching now at this stage? Um, I guess two thousand four now is when I really started getting into it. Yeah. So yeah. So what's that? Fourteen, fifteen years, sixteen years now. Yeah. So, yeah. A while. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun when people win and break world records and win national championships. That's fun. Yeah, it sure yeah. is. Like yeah. you, you, you have a very, very good uh, success rate. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So. And when did you start the online coaching service? Yeah, we started that about a year and a half ago now. Yeah, we started in, uh, in September 2018. That's when we started coaching. Yeah, we Camille, over the years, ever since, you know, she's had a lot of success, a lot of people were reaching out to her and 
Camille had a pretty um, um, an interactive website. Uh, there was a lot of information on there, but people were like, she felt like she was kind of being a little bit burnt out on that. So we kind of took a step back from that, having all this information on there. And then people were reaching out to us about, hey, you know, I'd like to start this, I'd like to start there. Can you give me some advice? So so in the end, we decided, you know what, uh, I think we should need to start doing this. And at the same time, I'd, I was still doing some collegiate coaching, but... You know, we we moved to Colorado and we kind of took a step back from our jobs. And, and at first we didn't think that it would be, you know, we're making a living from this now. And at first we, we, we always thought it would be just a part-time deal. But it's actually fun, you know. It's actually fun doing something that you enjoy doing. And we work well together. I think the biggest thing that we kind of, we, we, we especially when we're coaching somebody, we really kind of go back and forth about what works. So really people are getting two coaches you know when you look at other coaches out there there might be just one other coach out there that has a website or something or coaching and it's just one person a lot of people are getting two very intelligent people you know that are that have the best interests of their athlete at hand and i think that's important that we we understand our athletes and we take when we're looking at an approach we understand what it takes because Camille's bringing that experience of being a world record holder, being a world championship runner. And then I'm bringing the experience of all the knowledge that I've had of taking this. And that's, and that's when I bring back how being, being a student of the sport, I've taken as many courses as I've had with my coaching, my certification. And that's very important for coaches. They need to be, you know, if you hire someone, whoever it is, they, you need to do your homework. You need to make sure this person knows what they're doing. There's a lot of, and I don't, I don't want to say it, it, the negative part of it, but there's a lot of coaches out there that actually, they, they don't know what they're doing. And it's kind of sad. You know, you have to have someone in your corner that's a yeah, good. Yeah, they're holding back the athlete. Yeah, that's true. Or they have an approach where one size fits all. That's like what I mentioned about yeah. getting the genetic plan from a book. Yeah, you know, it's it's and that's that's kind of unfortunate because they might have an athlete who might be able to handle more mileage. They might have an athlete that may be able to handle less mileage. So you have to figure out what that athlete needs. You know, yeah, like so. a genetic plan will fit everyone to an extent, yeah. but it's not going to get them to their potential. And then when you get a bit of experience, you need more than that. Yeah. Especially needs, you know, especially if you're work, working with athletes who are on the verge of winning national championships or winning international competitions, you need to have someone in your corner who actually knows what that's like, you know. Yeah, so good. yeah, so yeah. Locally, are you involved with any groups? Do you have any opportunities for somebody to actually train with Camille? Yeah, so when we started this coaching business, we, we, we felt like we wanted to have some kind of an experience every year. So um, so we have this house in Colorado we bought, and we're, we're in the middle of renovating it right now. And um, we had, we had a, a running camp last summer there. It was in early July, and it went really well. Her, her brother, Camille's brother, is a really good chef. We brought him out, and he cooked all really good gourmet meals. And we kind of tapped it at a dozen people. And uh, so this year we're doing the same thing again. We're doing another running camp in uh, the middle of July. It's right before Hard Rock uh, Endurance Run, July 13th to the 17th. And it's the same kind of aspect again. You'll be able to hang out and go running and enjoying the beautiful Colorado air and and uh, spending time with Camille and myself and and just enjoying the process. And we're going to, we have some speakers lined up that we're going to be bringing in that are, it's going to be a really fun deal. Yeah. So, yeah. So you said out kind of a 
training plan for the day and yeah typically it's a schedule we have each day but it's a very relaxed schedule you know they'll have breakfast and then they do a training session in the morning somewhere we'll go somewhere where Camille loves to run and then we come back and we do education we have lunch and then we do education in the afternoon and then obviously then we'll do uh, you know dinner and then some kind of activity that night so it's a full day yeah and uh the one thing I like about it is very rewarding. You get to meet people, you get to know people, you get to, you know, and it's a, it's a good experience, yeah. So, now going back to your own coaching, what yep. would be your preferred distance to coach? Um, to coach? Yeah. That's a good question. I love the marathon, you know, I love the marathon. Um, but, you know, this whole ultra thing, ultra running thing's really taken off. So, yeah, I think one of our most popular training plans on our website is the 50 mile to 100k training plan. Um, and then, obviously, then the 24 hour training plan. Since Camille broke that world record, that's pretty popular too. Yeah, so um, yeah. And would you co uh, co would you crewing as well at the races? What would your favorite distance be as a race to be a spectator and crew person at? You know, I uh, at first I was scared of my life of this whole twenty four hour thing. I thought I'd like never make it, and um, it went pretty well in the last one. Uh, I didn't get tired at all. Now I'm scared of my life of the forty-eight hour thing. Um, I'm gonna be, yeah, I'm gonna be nervous about that one because I feel uh, I might need to kind of. Because I found when we did the twenty-four hour in France, it was the afternoon in the middle of the award ceremony. I kind of fell asleep, uh, so I figured that's about what thirty, thirty-three, thirty-four hours into the race if we do a forty-eight hour. But yeah, you know the trail races too. The the hundred mile trail race that's fun. It's like a sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hour day. Um, they're fun to crew because you're kind of going to different places. Um, but I do love the aspect of the track too. There's a lot going on, and especially if you're in a tent where there's a lot of activity, like I was in in France. Um, it's fun. And it gets quite yeah. exciting as well. It does, especially when you got someone running after chasing the lead man, and at one point you're in second place, and then then you have the the whole and the one thing we kind of did a really good job of is is we worked through roadblocks. We there was a lot of stuff that went wrong in Albi that a lot of people don't know about, and the ability for her to kind of go overcome all that, you know, taking two seven minute naps in the race, and then the whole nutrition kind of went to crapper, you know, and obviously you know, it did go to crap. And uh, so yeah, so having all those things go on, but still the aspect of being able to go through that. That's an amazing thing for to see on the on the sidelines. Um so so yeah, so um yeah, it's it's uh, I'd say just just being involved in the sport. It's it's growing. It's amazing now you're seeing what you're seeing with with the participation and and I would love actually for the IAU, the International Athletics Body for inter, for ultra running to kind of bring a come up with a 48-hour world championship. I think that'd be kind of cool to have that. Um, just that whole aspect of 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 the twenty four hour times two is be huge, and especially someone because what we've noticed and Camille might have talked about this too is that the further that women run, the closer they get into men's records. And you look at someone like Camille who might actually get close to Giannis's forty eight hour world record. That's really exciting, and that's what really drives us for Camille to be the best there ever was. And that's that'd be kind of fun and exciting to see that, you know. So yeah, it's that exploration going into the unknown. Yeah, yeah. Now, what you mentioned there about uh, starting to wilt during the award ceremony. Yeah, I reckon that the reason for that is because of the lack of activity. If you had still yeah. been on the track, yeah, the excitement was still there. Does the unknown? When yeah. you were at the award ceremony, you knew what was going to happen. Yeah. You were just waiting on it to happen. Yeah, and that's kind that's of a good uh, point, mind yeah. numbing. 
Well, boy, yeah, as long as the race is going on, you're going to be sharp because you have a job to do. Yeah, yeah. You're very focused and suppose for you, it was like sitting at the, or standing at the side of a racetrack yeah. with a hundred pounds on a horse waiting on us. Oh, yeah, it's waiting that's it. The yeah. adrenaline is keeping them awake. Yeah. I recently crewed at the 50 kilometre World Championships and for me, it was just over too quickly. Yeah. I felt like I didn't get a chance to enjoy it yeah. or a chance to start doing the, doing the calculations about pacing and distance and time. And that's something that you would do a lot of during the 24 hour. And it, it becomes quite exciting. Oh, yeah. Doesn't it? It's like a big game of chess that for the first maybe 16 hours, you're getting your pieces all in the right places and then you're waiting for the attack. Well, you know, take the World Championships where Camille kind of, you know, her pace was a little bit off at the start and she was obviously going a little bit quick because, but I wasn't really paying too much attention to that. I was paying more attention to what how she looked and she looked really good. And that's really how we approach this. Is oh, she's smiling. She was smiling the whole bloody race, you know. There was only one point where she didn't smile, where she was yanking her guts off the side of the fence. But even then, she smiled after that. But see, that's the thing about Camille. How she doesn't show if she's not feeling good. How would you have picked up on that? Or maybe she just was that going past the other aid stations. You know, I, 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 I'll be honest with you. You know, she, I'm. She's pretty good at telling me what she needs each time she's really good and I, I know her well enough now that I kind of know if there's something going wrong some issues at all um, but you know you take France where there was a lot of things that went wrong but fair play to her she was able to rally and continue that pace going and obviously yeah break a world record her own world record yeah and I was there and I know exactly what you're talking about I've seen it and I was at the back of your tent at one time yeah. maybe a couple of times when I was going down getting ice or getting water yeah and I don't know how you kept everything together. Yeah. Your, your tent was quite busy. There. You yeah. had a lot of athletes. Well, you know, they had this rule going into the race where there was only so many passes to share for recruiting. And the American team was so big that they were going in and out. They were only in 30-minute windows, in 30-minute shifts. But I was able to stay in the whole time because I was also crewing Jake Jackson. Uh, until about 16 hours in the race. And then once they realized what Camille was doing, they let me just stay in there and crew Camille. Um, but no, it was constant, yeah, and I think that's part of it. It's 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 the what do you call it, the fight or flight kind of thing, and yeah. you know. And I think with Camille, it was it was very much you know, hey, we're we when we were you know, we had a really good training cycle going into that race, and I kind of knew that hey, we're going to do something special here if everything was to play right, and we didn't reach our goal. Our goal was to run over a hundred and seventy miles. That was our goal going into the race. We didn't do that, but we won a world championship and we broke a world record. So, you know, we did okay in the end. Two out of three ain't bad. Exactly, exactly. You know, so. Were you saying Camille was slacking? <laughs> I wouldn't say she was slacking, but, you know, I think obviously everything didn't go right with it. And then the the route, obviously weaving in and out of people the whole time. And I, Camille was pretty steady Freddy there when it came to that. I was a bit worried that sometimes she might run into somebody, which she did. She ran into a few people along the way. But in the end, you know, it, was, it, was, it worked out okay. You know? And that so, does add on a lot of distance. Yeah. And if you're trying for a world record, oh, yeah. every step counts. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. you want to be running the shortest possible. And yeah. you, don't, you don't want to be doing anything that has just been thrown away. Yeah, I think what excited Camille was because it was a loop course, she was able to see athletes on the course, but she was also able to, like, you know, she finished, what, nine miles ahead of second place? So she obviously lapped those people a lot in the race. And I think, you know, you saw a smile on her face, but there was definitely a smile on her face when she was lapping these people.
you know so so yeah so that was kind of exciting yeah so how did you manage to stay mentally awake mentally stimulated during the race um you know i think i was busy between crew and two people early on but um but just a banter there was a lot of going on in the tent other crews you know you get to know them but um, there's a limit to how much banter you can get involved <laughs> in because you still have to be aware that yeah. my athlete is coming around I think it helped that the way the tent was set up, you could see them come into the, onto the track again and then you saw the times and stuff. And Well, exactly. So you had to be totally focused on, yeah, on that. Yeah. The, what do we say? It was a 1,400 metre loop? Yeah. That's, so it was about seven. That's only single seven, digit minutes. Yeah, yeah. It was about seven to eight minutes. You saw each lap, yeah. So unless there was something going on. Which, is, which isn't a lot. Yeah, no. But, you know, we, we when when we're doing a training cycle for any race, but especially when we did a training cycle for this race, we had it in our mind early on in the training cycle. There'll be a lot of, there'll be, there'll be okay, this would happen, this would happen, this would happen. So you kind of get your mind ready for that. It's like, it's not like you're going to war, but you're kind of preparing yourself to go to war. You know, and that's kind of how we approach it. You know, and that's how we approach, I think that's how we approach a lot of stuff in life is that, we kind of like, if we want to go after something, and I I was raised with the idea that if you really want something, you're going to have to work your ass off to do it. And Camille was kind of raised with that kind of aspect too. If you really want something in life, you're going to have to work your ass off to get it. And you put that together and, you know, you're going to make a pretty good combination. And I think that's probably how, you know, what you saw that day. It, was, it wasn't just eight to ten weeks of training. There was years and years of preparation went into that. Yeah, I'd say that's an accumulation of the beginnings, like from playing the piano and yeah. doing whatever else. That it, and we said shooting with the basketball, yeah. practicing with that, that, yeah. that shot. It all added up to that moment. Yeah. And it's almost like you're at the top of the pyramid, yeah. um, but still climbing. Climbing, yeah. Yeah, there's more to come, you know. Can you tell me a little bit about how you manage the nutritional side yeah. of things? So in this race or yeah, just in this in, race? In yeah, this race. so we uh, we'd started a new we there was new gels and drinks that we were working with Unived, that's our sponsor, and uh, but there was some sodium bicarbonate that was in the drink and that, that buffers that, lactate acid, is that right? Um, it's on it. It buffered, it buffered their shite that was coming out of our arse. That's what it did. <laughs> there was a lot of that going on. <laughs> so well, it said it. Uh, Sodium bicarbonate, if it's taken in excess, it can be a laxative, and yeah. that has actually happened. Oh, yeah. Well, there's plenty of that going on. The Polish team got all up in arms about it. <laughs> yeah, the Polish team and then the Norwegian team, they all got their knickers in a twist over it. <laughs> so, you know, it's a bloody 24-hour event. They should need to toughen up a bit. That's what my whole thing was, you know. It was a world championship. You know, and people were getting their knickers in a twist and IAU and delegates were coming up having meetings about it and stuff. And good Lord. Yeah, you know, I think part of it is is that it's championship racing. You're not going to stop. You're going to keep going. You know, it's all about what you can do on the day in 24 hours. And we had a goal in mind, 170, 175 miles. You know, so we weren't going to stop because there was a bit of poo lying on a leg that was apparently... I'm, you know. I'm thinking back now to something Camille said about her granddad being shot yeah. in the war. And he was yeah. a Marine. Yeah. That's what this actually sounds like, is that an elite soldier. Yeah. And by any means possible. You're going to you survive, will, yeah. You, you're survival, yeah. Do whatever it takes. Yeah, do, do whatever it takes. takes yeah. Yeah. And we, that's our mindset. We don't, you know, we're not going to like lie down because someone's whining and complaining about... They're looking, because they're getting lapped 15 times, and they're just seeing the back of someone's legs, you know? So, 
but obviously, you know, you know what happened, you know. We yeah, had to pull her from the course. Just, and It was incredible to see how yeah. you just kept going and going. Oh, yeah. And I'd never witnessed anything like that drive oh. and determination. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and then obviously you saw what happened with she had to be pulled from the race to clean up. But we, even that was quick. What are we, two minutes? Yeah, we did that in two minutes. Yeah, so It was like something you see when a, the a pit a stop. Formula One race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Yeah, she got out there again and started hammering it again. Yeah, but then obviously then well, she bouncing. had some issues with the with the gels. Uh, so we had to we had to completely go with a new nutrition plan. As part of being a crew, you kind of have to let the athlete figure this. Sometimes crews they think they know what's best. It's the athlete that knows best. And Camille, you know, I was going to let her figure that out. I was going to be there as much as I could to support her. But she figured out she wanted smoothies on the half hour, and potatoes on the hour. So we made, we were able to make smoothies for her, fruit smoothies, and we did it in a cup so she could just eat it as she ran. And then on the hour, we did potatoes in a cup, mashed potatoes. So was Camille still mentally aware to make those decisions? Oh, yeah. Camille was mentally aware the whole race. There was only one point at about, it was about, what was it, about 18, 19 hours where she had to take those seven-minute breaks. And then when she yacked up her guts at about in the in the main tent, she puked in the main tent, and they said, "Well, we got to bring you to medical." So they crossed over to medical, and they were going to start putting. They started putting the uh, the thing to test her heart, and she jumped out of the. I'm not doing any of that crap. She jumped out and jumped back on the course again and got going again. Well, in reference to Camille, as if she isn't here, but Camille is sitting yeah. at the opposite side of the table. Yeah. Morning, so. <laughs> so, but anyway, there was there was one or two points that were a little scary because I was out on the course kind of keeping an eye on her where she kind of stopped. There was it about a 10 minute, 11 minute lap where she was puking a little bit, but she rallied and I kind of expected she would because she's a tough nut. Yeah, she puked twice. Yeah. And, but she got it out of her system. And I think part of it was I'd given her a little bit of soup with, with noodles and that didn't go down well. So we kind of knew we had to stay away from that. But the whole race, and I think this is good for crews or people that want a crew, it's you got to let the athlete figure out what they want. Don't force stuff on them. Let them come to you. And Camille knew what she wanted. She wanted Gatorade. And we tried a bit of Gatorade. That helped. And then I gave her something to uh, one of those little sweets to kind of, it was a ginger sweet. That didn't help so great. It helped a little bit. But it came down to just Gatorade the last few hours and that helped. And then I gave her one more gel at about um, about two hours to go. I gave her one vanilla salt gel, um, Univet, and that helped. And then she started rolling in. Once I knew she was right within reach of getting Scott Jurich, I told her, you got to keep going 7.30 to 8 minute laps and you'll get Scott Jurich on the all-time list. And then she has certain things that she knows, like where we were living in Oklahoma, there's a nine-mile loop that she runs. And I told her, you got a loop around the lake left to go. So in her mind, she kind of... So I knew there was certain... You gave her something to visualize. Visualize. And, and yeah. there was small little cues like that that kind of helped her, you know? So, and then yeah. you dangled the carrot with mentioning Scott's yeah. record. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I think, you know, just there was certain things. And that's the key. you got to know your athlete. you got to know when to push them. Like, at one point in the championship, when she was, like, puking her ring off, I had to get onto her a little bit. I said, listen, what are you doing? And I got a little bit tough with her. And she responded to that. So you just got to know when you have to do that, you know. And then there's other times you kind of, when she wanted to lie down, you just let her lie down for a few minutes and I massaged the back of her head. And that's all she wanted. So, you know, you just got to know when, when you can push buttons and when you don't have to push Now, I'm making an assumption here. I wouldn't imagine that Camille has too much stored fuel and 
you're probably relying on some of the supplementary fuel like you're taking with the gels. When Camille was puking up, her nutrition is gone. Mm-hmm. And also she's losing some of what's going to be hydrating her. Yeah. Did that make you worry? No, because Camille's pretty smart at this. She's very intelligent when it comes, it comes to this stuff. Yeah. She's, yeah, she kind of knows. So when we, when we do the, she's always carrying a water bottle and she carries a sports drink bottle. She carries one in her in her in her waist, and she runs in her sports bra. So she always has some kind of hydration going on, um, and she's really good at sensing that what she needs. Um, so I wasn't worried about that at all. No. So you'd say Camille is is not only tough but she's smart. Yeah, she could bring herself to that breaking point, but knows when to just ease back. With well, it. you know, I think as the further we go in these races, I think that's one thing that we're going to be very cognitive of that sometimes, but. You're gonna have to know when, when, when not to, you know. And I think part of it is, is just, you know, we're still learning how to do all this. I'll be honest with you, especially as we go further now, it's gonna be we're gonna be relying a lot more on on nutrition. We're gonna be relying a lot more on our energy. We're, she's got to be very, very cognitive of those things, you know. So, I'm looking for your opinion on this when we're talking about 48 hour racing, mm. because you know that Camille is biomechanically sound with mm-hmm. regards to the other distances. Yeah. Do you think that in order to go the extra distance, that it really is just a matter of getting the nutrition right and maybe a mental stimulant? That's a good question. I think I think it's yes. I think for a part of it there is, but I also I think that the I think what especially with Camille is that I think the mental aspect is going to be huge, the ability, and I think that's where she's probably really strong. You know. Yeah. Debt experience. Yeah. Let, let Camille say that. Yeah. Here we go. I, I'm i basically wired to push myself to near-death experience, and I think that that's something that I've always had in me, and I just think back to when I was a kid, and I was talking about playing basketball to the point of blacking out. I thought that was normal. I thought I had to do that to get better, and so I, when I've gone for these world records, especially when I was doing the, the 12-hour world record, I started mentally flashing back to being a kid in my driveway playing basketball, pushing myself to the point of blacking out. And I started, when I when I go for these world records, I mean, I hit a point where I my head is like floating on my body and I, it feels almost like my body died and all that I have left is my brain with the light on in my head trying to tell my, my legs to keep going and keep pushing. And I don't know how to explain how I do that but I just have an ability to transcend in my mind and to push myself to a level of a near-death experience so the more I'm actually hearing the more I want to ask and (laughs) there is a podcast that you did with 10 junk miles and that's over two hours long yeah Uh, sorry five hours long (laughs) and I can see how that's after happening yeah because (laughs) yeah yeah, but it's all interesting stuff and one question is leading to another What I'd like to do as well as this is, maybe the next time you're over, if I could get Dr. Noel Brick, the exercise psychologist, Mm. and get him to chat with you as well. Mm -hmm. Because I I just think there's a a lot of very, very interesting stuff here. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just wishing that I had more time. (laughs) Now, Camille, you've had your moment. You have to pass the mic back to Connor now. We're going back to talking about you. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. Going on to the 48 hour, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that Camille's time to exhaustion Mm-hmm. With regards muscle fatigue, yeah, you probably haven't reached that limit yet. No, because with a twenty-four hour race, they're mostly on the flat. You do a hundred mile race that's off-road that yeah, has a bit of incline. Yeah, a hundred miles in trail, mountain trail, yeah. or mountain terrain. 
is going to take a hell of a lot more effort than a hundred or hundred. Well, I think what you have to fact. do is, I think you have to train for your environment. I think that's what we do. You know, you have to look at what what what's your goal. I think you know you have to look at you know if you're training for a mountain trail race, you got to do some of that kind of stuff. You have to adapt to your environment. Yeah, the specifics. Yeah. So, you know, so so, and I think part of it is is what one workout what we do is it's very important to us. You have to work your legs you have to cramp your legs so there's a there's a there's a hill workout we do where you're actually you 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 run to the point of cramping and that's we do this workout with all our athletes you can only do it about once a month to be honest because it is a pretty hard workout um and uh yeah so yeah so so you do you do you know you have to train to your to your environment you have to train to what what you're racing for is yeah so again you're at the side track of me and i'm now going in a different direction because i'm interested in that work you mentioned mm-hmm. how long is the hill you know, typically anywhere from five to seven minutes long and going up and typically about three minutes down. So you're doing the hill at a steady pace going up, but it's really the downhill that matters. So you're hammering the downhill part or you're running it at a good steady effort. So you're just going up and down. The key is that you're going to cramp your legs to the point where, you know, you're going to need to either take a break or your workout's done. You know, when now you say cramping, is that the feeling you might get? towards the end of a cross exactly race. yeah exactly you're getting you're tiring your legs to the point of exhaustion basically yeah so so yeah so you're training your legs you're and especially this is a workout we did for comrades and uh, this is a workout we did for a lot of our our you know uh, for this cycle that we did for the, the world championships we didn't do this workout as much we did a, the workouts we did on the hills were more kind of steady rolling kind of type efforts that took like 90 minutes long we never really cramped, you know, but we were running at, there was one workout where you're running at 11,000 feet. So you're really getting your benefit of running at 11,000 feet. It's less oxygen. So those kind of workouts really help for lower, I think, for lower ultra distance races. And um, I think the further you go, it's really about more an aerobic kind of capacity and to be able to handle that longer distance and just the mind. The mind is huge when it comes into these longer distances, I think, you know, so... And would the gradient matter in the hill? Yeah, you're looking at about like five, six, seven percent, I think. You know, of a grade. Yeah, so it's a yeah. tough hill. Yeah, it's a tough hill. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I think, uh, like I said, the key is that you really focus on the downhill part. You know, you're really pushing the downhill. You're going down downhill in about three minutes, three and a half minutes. You know, so. And staying with that hill, if I was going to be doing that session with you. What would I have been doing the day or two days beforehand? Would I be approaching that session almost as if I'm ready to go into a race? Yeah, you know, obviously, I, we, we're we're not big believers in taper, to be honest. I think the week before the World Championships, Camille ran 112 miles. Is that right? 116 miles? I think the week before the World Championships, she ran 116 miles. So we're not big believers in taper. We, we're big believers and you got to keep the, um, what's the word, frequency up. So you're still running like twice a day. So like... A week typically, the last few days going into a world championships, like Camille ran twice. No, well, actually, on this time she didn't. I remember we saw you in the hotel in lobby on the Friday night before the race. Uh, we did the flag parade on that Friday. She, she she treated it as her second workout, but we typically run twice the day before a championship race or any kind of a race. We'll do like a 20-minute run, 25-minute run in the morning, or a 30-minute run in the morning, and a 20-minute, 25-minute run with strides in the evening. But with the World Championships, because we had the flag parade, her her body was kind of tired already, so we scrapped that run. We had our dinner, and then we went for a walk, and that's when we saw you. 
in the lobby you were hanging out there yeah so um and what did you have for your dinner that night the night know, before the race typically what we what we do is and this is very important is that when we go to these races especially in other countries or anywhere we go we really pan out top-notch places to eat. So typically, you kind of want a rich carbohydrate meal two nights out. So, you know, you want to kind of look at something of a kind of a pasta dish. And that's what we did. I found the best pasta place in, in on that Thursday night for Camille. And that was a top-notch meal. Then on the Friday, you typically want to have comfort food. Um, and for um, because we were in France, it was kind of hard to find a Taco Bell. So we didn't have the Taco Bell option, but we did find uh, some nice, it was this French bread with like sandwich, uh, it was tuna, and that was pretty good. We had that for lunch, and then I had actually brought, uh, you want to typically, the night before the race, you want typically, that's just good comfort food, easy to eat, easy to digest. So like rice, black beans, something that's just simple, that's no no big jargon. So I actually brought rice with me. And I was able to get to the kitchen of the hotel and they let me cook rice. So I had rice that I cooked and then we went into the restaurant because they let us use their kitchen. I kind of felt like I, I should buy something from their restaurant. So we had some we had some salmon, didn't we? We did some salmon and we had some vegetables that they brought out and we kind of had that with the rice. So it was simple food, easy to eat, easy to digest. So, yeah. Yeah, Subway sandwich, something that's just easy, that she's able to eat, digest, She's her gut's used to, you know. So typically, though, if we're in the States, she'll have a Taco Bell for lunch and she'll have a Subway for dinner on the Food night. that's familiar and that you think you can trust. Exactly, yeah. And she's got a pretty strong gut on her. So, you know, I think just having food that's simple, that's easy to digest, easy to access and those kind of things are important, you know, so... Now, I'm going to go back to that hill again. Mm-hmm. What would you do in the days after? Oh, yeah. You're pretty crushed after a workout like that. So typically what we do is, what what Camille would do is, if she does that hill workout, she'll come back five hours later and jog real easy, 40 minutes, 50 minute jog. That just really helps the legs recover. And then the next three days, two to three days, typically it's just recovery jogging twice a day. Just going out for 80-minute runs, 50-minute runs. Going out for 90-minute runs, 50-minute runs, 45-minute runs. That's all she, That's all we do. That workout in itself, it takes a lot out of it, but it also absorbs a lot. So it takes a lot to recover from a workout like that. So we typically take about four to five days before you do your next workout, even a week before you do your next workout. So, yeah. Like your next long run will just be a simple, easy long run. And... In our training plans that we do, when we do that workout, you can only do that workout about three times in a 16-week cycle. Maybe four times. But that's it. If it's done right. As you said, if it's done right. If you're doing the session, you have to be doing it. Yeah. The name alone isn't good enough. You have to be putting the work in. Yeah. You know, you'll take a nice long recovery after that. Because that workout done right has huge benefits. But if you don't recover fast enough... Like, if you're able to go out the next day and you're hammering the next day, you haven't done the workout right, you know? So, yeah. So, Can you give me a typical week for a marathon runner based on one of your plans, your training methodology? Pretty comparable. I think the only thing we might do different is we might do a little bit more kind of interval-based workouts versus time-based workouts. So, for a lot of the ultra running, for a lot of the longer stuff, we do a lot of time-based. We'll do, like, six, seven-minute runs, eight-minute runs, that are kind of like at at that pushing that kind of a steady effort versus like our marathon workouts, we do a lot of more like interval based. So like mile repeats, K reps, those kind of things. That's maybe the biggest difference. One of our most favorite workouts though are 90 second reps. 
Typically, Camille will run 16 by 90 seconds and she'll hammer them with 90 seconds recovery in between each. And that's a great workout. And that's typically on a bike path, flat terrain. And that's the same. You can do that workout for, to be a 5K runner all the way to an ultra runner. That's a great workout. And for someone training for their first marathon, yeah, what would you suggest they max out at with their long run and how close to the marathon? Typically, I would say no more than 21, 22 miles would be your longest run that you'll do. And having said that, our longest run we do for our ultra running is 22 miles. We don't do extended long runs. What we do, though, is we'll come back in the evening and do another four or five miles on top of that. And, you know, you're, you're, if you're going to run a long run, you might as well just go find a race. So I always tell a lot of people, you'll get a bling at the end of a race anyway that you wouldn't get at a run. So go find a marathon for yourself and you get a medal at the end of it. You get like a nice goodie bag. For the marathon training program, typically 21, 22 miles. Uh, longest, probably three weeks out. So what so. you're saying is that, uh, do training that allows you to continue your training. Yeah. If your long run is too long, you could end up needing extended recovery time and then you might be losing the training adaption from that. You know, I think the biggest thing is that it's just no, there's a point of no return, I think. And if you're going long... That's a good way of saying it. Yeah, you know, if you're going long, you're just going to... I feel that you're just going to get slow if you go long. Isn't that right, Camille? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, come back, yeah. come back over, Camille. <laughs> when I when I first tried ultra running back in 2013 and ran two oceans, I just thought I needed to extend my long runs because I was racing further and run more mileage. So I was doing what I experimentally what I thought was the right thing to do, and it actually made me feel slower and feel sluggish, and I felt like it just took the zip out of my legs. So when I went back to ultra running in 2015, I said, I'm going back to marathon training. I'm going back to what works and to shorten my long run, do more speed work. And that was when things started to happen. So so self-experimentation. Exactly. And, yeah. and you yeah. were willing to actually take that chance to. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, when you're, dealing with, yeah, when yeah. you're dealing with someone that's very intelligent and, and like I said, we go back to crewing. Even crewing, you know, you're dealing with someone that knows what they want. They know exactly what they need. Let them figure that out. You're there to help them, you know. And if I'm crewing anyone now, it's going to be like that. If I, you know, if I'm going to crew someone that one of our athletes we coach, you know, which, you know, I, I Camille always says that I could actually give my services out to be a top crew person because, you know, I'm actually pretty good at it. But no, having said that, but, you know, that's the way you got to look at this is you can't, you got to have a plan, but you also have to be able to kind of adapt that plan and let the athlete figure out what they need, you know? So, yeah, so. Yeah, I always say the plan is cast in stone, but subject to change. Yeah, exactly. And you have to be, as you said, adaptable. Yeah. Because these races are like a problem-solving exercise. Yeah. And you don't have all the clues until the race starts to unfold. Yeah. And then you've got to change around to yeah. meet the demands of the athlete. And yeah. meet the demands of the race. Yeah. It could rain. Oh, yeah. And you, or I was at one race there a couple of years ago, and there was a power cut. Wow. Now, luckily, the, it didn't affect all of the course, but there were times that the athletes were running in the dark. God. Now, luckily, some, some of them had head torches. Yeah. And there were enough head torches so other athletes could run in their, their spotlight as well. That's so, crazy, yeah. But you just, you don't know. Yeah, that's wild, yeah. Now, before we finish up, yeah. is there anything you could add? Any, any tips, any advice for somebody starting off, maybe? When someone's getting into the ultra running or someone wants to get better with their ultra running, 
I think you know. I think you like. Well, I kind of go back to what I talked about earlier. Was like you never stop learning, and I think you got to surround yourself with people that you feel that will support you in your endeavors. And I think that's part of being a coach. You have an ability to be able to transcend and help people with the sport, and that's what we found is that you know we've we've been able to help people, and that kind of brings us the best joy. I think the most joy for us as coaches is that being able to kind of take someone from where they are to where they where their running goes, and yeah, it's kind of fun. To see all that happen, you know. And I think we'll just add a bit to that. I'd say surround yourself by like-minded people yeah. and seek out the right people. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I introduced myself to yourself at yeah. the World Championships was to kind of tap into some of what you might have to offer. Yeah. And the same thing, if I, if I have a chance to talk to other coaches, oh, yeah. I will. And yeah. you've got to have you've got to have an open mind and a willingness to learn. And if you're talking to somebody who obviously knows what they're talking about, you listen. Right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And try and tap into what they know rather than let them know what, what you know. Like yeah. Take the opportunity and listen with your mouth closed. Exactly, yeah. It's important, right? <laughs> well, Conor, well, thanks very yeah, much yeah, for your time. Yeah, it was good talking with you, John, yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to actually chat again. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll be back again in another... Another few, if we decide, we haven't fully committed to this race in April yet. We're kind of finding out a few more things first. And obviously Camille's taking a bit of a break now. She started back training again now and things are going well. And but we're going to just take it nice and easy. But yeah, if we decide to go ahead and commit to that, yeah, it might be a good day to watch another record being broken. Yeah. Before so. we finish up, can you just tell me the name of the website? Uh, runwithcamille.com. That's the coaching website is runwithcamille.com. Yep. Okay, thanks so much, Connor. No and problem. If you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and you can subscribe many of the usual channels. Thank you.